You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Rob. We just Skyped with this guest. Yes. From <laughs> we Toronto. Did. We did from Toronto. Um, I've, I've wanted to interview her for a while. She was a co-star of mine for many, many years. You know her as Lana Lang. She's in Beauty and the Beast. She was in. Uh, she has the uh, uh, new show out now, mm-hmm. Burden of Truth. And um, she's a pretty dynamic woman, and I've known her a long, long time. Yeah. Since I was... She was 17, and I was like 26. She's very well-spoken. Much she's more well-spoken so articulate. than you. I, I sound like such an idiot when I'm talking to her. But, um, you know, she was really open about things. She was really open about her life growing up. Um, you know, she was her parents were introverts. She's an introvert. We get into all that and um, much, much more. I think that you're going to really uh, like this young lady. Yeah, this she's is... still a young lady. This is the rest of Smallville week. This is the rest of Smallville week. But we've got more next week. That's right. We do have more got, next week. We got two more next week. Two more what? Two more interviews. From what? From Smallville. Yes, we do. A show that I have not seen. Yeah, that's why I'm looking at him like he's never seen it. But we got two more great guests. But right now, let's get inside Kristen Krug. It's my point of view. You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum was not recorded in front of a live studio audience. Wow. Rob just threw a chip at me to start this interview. It's a good start, Kristen. That's a lovely start. Keep it light. Keep it, keep it, you know, fluid. Yeah, that's what we like to do. You know, well, I always wanted you on the show and we talked about it, but you don't live here. You don't come out to Los Angeles. I'm not going to put words in your mouth. I'm not going to say, Kristen, you don't like Los Angeles, but you don't, you're not a big fan of Los Angeles, let's say. Is that is that tr- sort of true? That would be... Correct. Yes. I mean, there are parts of LA or aspects of Los Angeles that I love, but like as a whole, it's never felt like a place that could be home for me. Right. Where are you right now? I'm in Toronto. And you were born in Vancouver, as we know. Twas, yes. You were. Look, from knowing you for so many years, I've known you since what, 2001? 2001. So I the mean, year after I graduated high school. Oh my god, <laughs> such a creep, Michael! <laughs> like because I met her on a show. Yep. Because she happened to work on a show, and I'm sorry <laughs> that I bumped into you. Yeah, I always felt like you know you were always. I wasn't intimidated by you, which would be weird for an older guy. You know, I'm you're 36 now, I think, right? I am. Yeah. And you don't. You're not one of those women who, or guys who worry about their age and say, "I won't tell you how old I am." Obviously, because you just told no, me. No, well, you said not. it. I think that we we yeah, you already said it. A, but also, I think in our society, <laughs> we've really, you know, valued youth over growing older, and it'd be good if we could change that. No. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because my mother. Thank God, Rob, you didn't meet my mother, but she's in her seventies, and she will not tell her age. I remember when we were younger. Her first two kids, she'd say, hey, make sure nobody knows that they exist. I don't want anybody to know that I had two kids in my former marriage. They'll know how old I am. I'm like, you, what the, it's kind of, it's sick, isn't it? When you think about it. Yeah, but it makes sense, right? When, especially for women, we're most valued for our sexual years, the years we can have children. And that's based on how much people find us attractive. And so if we don't change what we value in people and especially in women, it's going to constantly be a thing where it's like all about how young you are, or how young you look or, you know, how attractive you are. Wow. That was really articulate. And like the way you said it made absolute perfect sense to me for the, like, not for the first time, but like, I mean, I, I just never understood. I was like, well, don't lie about your age. If you're on a dating app, don't say you're 30 when you're 40. Don't, you know, there's like this lying thing. But now I mean, I. I do understand. I do understand the way how you put it is, is different. But, I, you know, I always think like, hey, this is me. This is who I am. But I'm also not a woman. So I can't understand what it possibly what it's like to. It's a completely different system. Like generally, especially in the West, a man's value is not placed on his, you know, his like youthful looking body or his ability to carry children because he can't. Um, so you kind of have a lot more freedom in that sense. And and. And therefore, it's harder to grasp why women would feel that pressure. Yeah. How old were you when I met you? Um, I think I was either, I think I was 19, I think. This is a scary question. What was your first impression of me? (laughs) Jesus, that's like, why did I go down that rabbit hole? The first time I remember meeting you, we were 
I think in the hair and makeup trailer and you are very much the same as you were then. Although I think now you're a little more, wrinkly. you're more chill. You're a little more chill and wrinkly. Yes. Thank you. Um, Thank you but you were Rob. very outgoing in a way that I found terrifying being, especially then when, as you remember, I was such an introvert, which I think is why people sometimes found me in, intimidating. Um, but I was so quiet and uh, a little judgmental. (laughs) You were just so you and so expressively loudly you that I was like, yeah, because I think, you know, look, I've always had that personality where I'm like, I want everybody to like me. I'm a good guy. Look at me. And, you know, you were just shy and introverted. And I was like, you know, if if you think about it, it's just it doesn't mean someone doesn't like you if that's just not who they are. If they're quiet, it doesn't mean if you're loud, they don't have to be loud. Well, that probably made you push harder too. Probably. I mean, I always, you know, want someone to like me. If it's a one person who's not laughing in the comedy club, I'm like, who is that jerk? But it's you know, it's not. But we were also different. We were on a different page in in life. I was a little more experienced in terms of work, and you hadn't really acted all that much, really. You you did a show called Edgewood. <laughs> Close Edgemont. Edgemont. Uh, yeah, I had done. <laughs> I had done the show called Edgemont, which was a CBC series, and I'd done like I played Snow White in a TV movie. That's it. That's all I had done. I mean, apart from like high school crap, but yeah. So, were you a nervous wreck? Were you like uh, coming onto this show that you know it was the biggest show any of us have, uh, had ever done? And were you? I mean, I could tell you were a little nervous, but you kept it in. How did you deal with that? I mean, especially as like a seventeen, eighteen year old. I was more than nervous, I think. I mean, yes, nervous about wanting to be good at what I did. At that point, I felt comfortable, at least with the technical. Like, I knew I could hit a mark. Yeah, <laughs> which is important. better than I was when I started. You know, when I started Edgemont, I didn't even know what a mark was. So I think from that side of things, I was scared in that way. And then the other aspect of it was it was such a whirlwind, you know? the The amount of press that we were doing, the people who would, you know, notice us or pay attention to us in the photo shoots. And it was like this constant thing. And it was really hard for me to transition from going to school (laughs) to going to a job. I didn't have a car. Transpo never drove me. My dad drove me to work when I couldn't take the bus. Um, And it was like my life was in this massive transformation. And I dealt with it by reading. You were always reading. I wish I was always reading. <laughs> Your focus perhaps would not allow you to do that fully. Yeah. Squirrel. But I also wrote a lot and walked around a lot and just tried to process what I was going through because it was a really strange period in my life. As affected as it sounds like you probably were in ways that we don't understand, like to me, it, feel, it felt like God. I'm, you know, 10 years older than her. I wish I wasn't as affected. You know, I, you look so together and I was, I've never been together. It's amazing. But now looking back, I think, how could she have possibly taken it in stride? I mean, you were probably doing the best you could, but when photo shoots and this and that, this was, it started. And it was also like, you're a gorgeous person. So it's, you know, on top of that, that's nothing that you ever want. It's like, it's not, look, we we all want to be good looking, right? But that's not something you wanted to be noticed for. That, that again, like for me, I was like, oh my God, they want my picture. And Well, you had also been in the business longer. I think you had a better understanding of what it was that was happening. So you'd done shows, you'd been on TV shows, you'd like been on things that hadn't worked, things that had, like you just had a body of experience. I hadn't had that. So this thing just happened. And I was obviously hired <laughs> in part because of the way that I looked. Um, and it was something, you know, that I really fought against. I don't know. You probably don't remember this. But before I turned 21, <laughs> I spent, because there was a distinct shift in my my awareness when I turned 21. But before I turned 21, I made every effort to not look attractive. Like, we went to television critics association press stuff. And 
and I didn't even have clothes that I could wear. And we didn't have stylists back then. That was not a thing that we did. Like right. We didn't hire stylists. So like Suzanne Gomez had to like find me, scrounge up clothes for me to wear because I was not someone who bought clothes. I wore things until they were destroyed. I remember Steve Oban took photos of our my shoes guy, and put yeah. them in. Yeah, yes, our wardrobe guy, sorry took photos of my shoes because they were completely destroyed, but I continued to wear them <laughs> with like complete stubbornness. See, but you know, I will say it was funny. No matter what you did or tried to ugly yourself up, you couldn't succeed. However, I would do everything I could to look better looking <laughs> and be in the same room with you guys. Please zits. Don't come out. Please nick some ahead. Please like, I just like, oh God, I'm not as handsome. I'm not, I'm always, I've always, always trying to be like, I'm doing what I can where like you and Tom really didn't have to do anything. You're lucky. You were natural beauty and maybe, you know, what Rob? Well, and you were, you. you had to be bald and I had to be bald. So I felt, you know, it was just like, oh my God, I got this weird knot on my head. So <laughs> it's funny that you're telling me that you were trying to ugly yourself up and I'm trying to get better looking here. Uh, we're ridiculous. We're ridiculous. It's all insecurity. And that's what this, like this business you know, does to people, but, um, you had a pretty good upbringing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my parents were both landscape architects. They were, you know, they're supremely practical people, which is probably why I am fairly practical. Um, they, uh, they were really supportive of most things, you know, my, my parents put me into everything. So I did, I was in classes like almost every day of the week you know, swimming, gymnastics, karate, singing, dancing, acting. <laughs> you were a gymnast. Every, you, you went to the national day. level yeah. in gymnast, right? In gymnast. No, in no, gymnastics. no. I was not that good. I am, I am not ambitious generally. Uh, so I, I never was that good. And I started kind of late. My sister went much farther than I did uh, and competed, I, I believe, at the provincial level. Um, but I competed more regionally. Um, and I was never great. But, it, but all of those things have come in handy as I've gotten older. But they also kept me structured. So they kept me uh, focused and they gave me community outside of school. So for whenever school was awful and it was hard and and I felt really weird and outside of everybody. I had a group of girlfriends that I could hang out with and I saw them three, four times a week training and then more if we were hanging out outside of it. Where do you get your personality, your mother, your father? Because I mean, your mo mother's of Chinese descent, right? Yeah, my mom uh, was born in Indonesia and is of Chinese descent. My grandmother's side of the family is um, diaspora Chinese. They are from the Caribbean. So my grandmother was born in Jamaica and my, and that family goes back many generations in Jamaica. And then my grandfather um, was from Hong Kong and my mom traveled a lot as a kid. So they started off living in Indonesia, but uh, during that time, both communists and Chinese people were being persecuted in Indonesia. Um, if you've ever seen the documentary, The Act of Killing is an amazing documentary, but that's what was going on at the time. So they left and they lived all over like Singapore, Solomon Islands, all over the place. And then eventually came to Canada when she was around 12 or 13, she came to, to Vancouver. Um, and they met, my dad was born in Ontario, so the province I live in now, uh, to Dutch parents who immigrated from Holland. And he also moved to Vancouver after he got his degree in landscape architecture. And then they met and, and you know, accidentally had two children. <laughs> accidentally. Is that true? Oh, yes. Well, first of all, how did you, usually your parents don't tell you, they're like, hey. Oh, right. How did you know you were an accident? Because look, my you know some people would cover it up and say, "Hey, you weren't an accident. We didn't want to get married at the time, and then we wanted to get pregnant, and we had you, and then we're like, oh, let's get married.' They could have faked it. No, my parents certainly did not do that. They basically, what I remember them saying is, "Don't get married. Um, only get married if you want to have children." And they were very clear, like they got married because they got pregnant. And my parents are still together and they love each other. They're like a, you know, a funny little match. They're very different people, um, but they're still together and happy. So it was fine and it worked out okay. That sounds but... pretty practical. I could see where you're, <laughs> you know, it's like, you know what? Don't get married. 
if you want a family, then get married. But I've heard that before, and like, it's like it's it kind of makes sense. It's like you want this. Um, what's the word? So, uh, security. No, when you with your kids, you want them to have this union or this whatever team. Yeah, well, maybe team. <laughs> I, team is not really the word I was looking for. Structure. But neither of you could structure. <laughs> no, but by the way, where do you get uh, your personality from? Is your father more outgoing? Is your mother more outgoing? Um, they're. I would say they're both um, introverts, but my dad is much more social. He likes talking to people. He likes hanging out with people. And my mom's a lot more kooky. So my dad, like my goofiness, I think comes more from my mother and my practicality comes more from my father. And then I have like a constant like conflict between like practicality and perhaps a little bit more like the flexibility. <laughs> who, who is the, who is the disciplinarian? Um, my mom, I was more scared of growing up. Definitely. She, I, I was very scared of her. We got in a lot of fights. Uh, she didn't want me to go out. She didn't want me to be out in the world at all. I took karate in large art cause I was told I had to protect myself back then. It was like the white van the the, you know, we were scared that someone was going to kidnap us out of a white van. So I had to <laughs> take karate to, to protect no, I myself. I'm sorry. I looked no, at Rob and shook my head saying, don't say it. Cause I have a white van. <laughs> I wasn't going to say that. <laughs> I've had a van for a long time. All right, first of all, <laughs> fuck off Rob. And fuck you too, Kristen. But I have a van because my parents were never the kind of parents that, you know, my friends, their family would have vans and they'd go on trips and they'd take all the kids and their friends to baseball games. And my parents never had it. So I said, you know, one day I'm going to get a van. A conversion van. And so it's a conversion van. It's got like stereo and TV in it. And my friends exactly and I load up and go were, to concerts and stuff. Exactly what you were describing. Yeah. Just go to hell. Yeah. It sounds like yours is probably not as terrifying as the one that no, we it's, I would hope it's so. Not. It's pretty creepy. See, it's not creepy. It's just playful. It's like a 90s. It's inviting. <laughs> Where did you grow up, though? Vancouver. Me, I, it was I, Vancouver. Vancouver. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that was the luxury you had. At least you were, um, you know, when we were filming, you were on set. Like, you you can go home and you'd be home in a half an hour. I would be a 45-minute drive to the airport. You know the deal. I live in L.A. But, Michael, you made a concerted effort to constantly not make Vancouver your home. You well, know, I like... tried in the first two seasons. Yeah. You know, I got a houseboat, and that's you know, true. You did. I I, look, I like Vancouver. You know, when I go back now, it's funny because like after I was done with the show, I was like, you know, I'm not, I'm not going back. I did seven seasons there. I'm not going to Vancouver. What do I do? My next series, in go Pastor, back to Vancouver. Films in Vancouver, and that's what I did. But I get it. It's hard when you're pulled away from your home. Um, that's what we do, though. That's that's our life. That is what we do, and and we're lucky to be able to do that. And Vancouver's not a bad city, but it just I I like I just remember every. Friday night or whatever, Michael's like, come on, finish. I got a flight to catch. I'm going home. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember when you were cast? Do you remember the day you got the news? Sort of, not the exact day, but I, I was the first one cast in this show. You were the first one cast. You wouldn't think that. You go, got to hire the Superman or the villain or... I think they had enough money that if Tom and I had no chemistry, they could just buy me out. Right. And they were like, this is terrible and is totally wrong. But I had another project that was like wanting me to sign on. So they had to make, make an offer. You auditioned, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I auditioned in Vancouver and then I came to LA to test. It was the first time I'd ever been to Los Angeles. Me and my agent went. And um, my mother watched as he pulled up in his Porsche and oh, <laughs> gave him the death glare as he took her 18-year-old daughter off to Los Angeles with him. But I remember you know, meeting everybody and David Nutter making me feel very comfortable and at ease and um, meeting Alan Miles and going into Warner Brothers and testing for all those guys. I remember Peter Roth. I, it was just a really, actually really nice experience. And because I didn't care one way or the other, I wasn't particularly nervous. God, I um, wish I had that. I wish I had that. <laughs> yeah. Never it's like really, naivete. I think, look, I think you get nervous. I think you care like a normal person, but I obsess. I get so nervous because I want to be so great at things. And like to have that, to take your personality, I would, I would take half your personality. <laughs> I, I get very nervous now. I haven't gone into an actual audition in years because I get really shaky and scared. But back then, I didn't know. I didn't know one thing from another. It was like, whatever.
Inside of You is brought to you by Nutrafol. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster growing hair with less shedding. And look, hair thinning impacts a lot of us, myself included. In fact, over half of us will experience hair thinning at some point in our lives. It's not only common, it's normal. Join over 1 million people who are doing something about it with Nutrafol. Nutrafol helps support hair growth from within by targeting possible key root causes of thinning, stress, hormones, environment, nutrition, lifestyle, and even metabolism. Does the craziness of everyday life leave you stressed and shedding? Since having kids, have you started seeing a little more of your scalp as menopause impacted your hormones and your hairline? When it comes to thinning hair, there are many possible root causes at play, and Nutrafol helps address them through a multi-targeted whole body approach. While many supplements rely solely on ingredient studies, Nutrafol clinically tests final formulations to ensure their efficacy. In Nutrafol's own clinical studies, 72% of men saw more scalp coverage after taking Nutrafol men's hair growth supplement for six months, and 86% of women saw improved hair growth after taking Nutrafol women's hair growth supplement for six months. While many supplements rely solely on ingredient studies, Nutrafol clinically tests final formulations to ensure their efficacy. In Nutrafol's own clinical study, 72% of men saw more scalp coverage after taking Nutrafol men's hair growth supplement for six months, and 86% of women saw improved hair growth after taking Nutrafol women's hair growth supplements for six months. Take their hair wellness quiz at Nutrafol.com for a personalized hair health plan based on your specific possible root causes. With Nutrafol, getting help building a hair growth routine is simple. Purchase online, no prescription or doctor's visits required. Free shipping and automated deliveries ensure you'll never miss a day. You could see results in three to six months. Take the first step to help you see visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter promo code INSIDE. Find out why 4,500 professionals and stylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L, Dot com promo code inside that's nutrafol.com promo code inside inside of you is brought to you by neurohacker qualia senolytic let me tell you something if you haven't tried this you are missing out i just sent this to my mom i have it i use it it's a product that i didn't I, they weren't even my sponsor when i was using this and i was like wow why do i have more focus or energy why do I feel better? Why do I feel different? It's because I take Qualia Synaletic, Neurohacker. Look, if someone would have told me, Ryan, that there are science-backed ingredients that could help me feel 15 years younger in a matter of months, I wouldn't have believed it. But uh, I tried Qualia Synaletic, and the rest is history. As we age, everyone accumulates senescent cells in their body. Senescent cells may cause symptoms of aging, such as aches and discomfort, slow workout recoveries, sluggish mental and physical energy associated with that middle-aged feeling. Also known as zombie cells, they're old and worn out and not serving a useful function for our health anymore, but they could be taking up space and nutrients from our healthy cells. Much like pruning the yellowing and dead leaves off a plant, Qualia Senolytic helps remove those worn out senescent cells to allow for the rest of them to thrive in the body. And you just take it two days a month. The formula is non-GMO, vegan, gluten-free, and the ingredients are meant to complement one another, factoring in the combined effect of all the ingredients together. And Neurohacker Qualia Synaletic has a 100-day money-back guarantee. Oh, I have, I have more energy. Uh, I feel younger. Uh, I'm more productive. I will tell you that. I'm more productive. And uh, I feel like I have, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm more enthusiastic about my life. I definitely feel that. And uh, for me, the aches and pains are less lessened by this. So that is a real important thing for me. Help resist aging at the cellular level, folks. Try Qualia Senolytic. Go to neurohacker.com slash inside. Neurohacker, N-E-U-R-O-H-A-C-K-E-R. Neurohacker.com slash inside for up to $100 off and use code inside at checkout for an additional 15% off. That's neurohacker.com slash inside for an extra 15% off your purchase. 
What scene did you read? Do you remember which scene it was? Yeah, I the did barn the barn scene. I bet scene, the graveyard scene. Oh. I don't remember the other one, but that was that was the scene. I remember doing that scene so many times because it's an, it was in every audition. And you did it with Tom at the end. In the I did it with Tom, yeah. And then I came back in the new year, so that was before the new year, and then that was December, and then I came back the next year and tested with Tom and Jensen. Did let me ask you the truth. When you first met Tom, were you like, oh my god, he's hot? No, he's the most beautiful man I had ever seen. I mean, it was funny because Jensen is also a very attractive man. <laughs> yeah, which pisses me off because all the hottest guys in the world were surrounding me. I was tortured, Rob. I feel like you're placing far too much value on the way people look. <laughs> I'm just saying it was hard to be like, well, you know, again, it stems off from childhood. I get it. I'm just saying bald, average looking with some charm, surrounded by beauty. Michael... Uh, yes. I think you don't give yourself enough credit. Well, I do. I'm just, I'm hard on myself, but look, look what I'm saying is, um, she's shaking her head. Oh yes. But did you, so when you first saw me, you saw he was, he was a beautiful, the most beautiful person ever. And, and he was really kind. He was warm. Yeah. Tom was nice. I don't know. He was an adult. I was a kid. I like, well, you were 18. Five, he was like five years older than me. 20. Three. Yeah, but it that at that age I hadn't hung out with like twenty something year old men. Yeah, this is the first time I'm sitting in rooms by myself with like adult males. Oh my god, gross! <laughs> well, it was terrifying for me. It was really scary. I I get it. You know, the, I don't want to get into this whole thing because it's another story. But the whole Me, uh, Me Too movement was so important, and it was. And like, if you if you think about it, if you're a guy and you're out there. How many times do you just, it's easy for you to talk to the other guys and talk about whatever and fit in and like, but for a woman, you're, it's, it's a different feeling. You're viewed, you're, it's, it's, go ahead. You're going to, you want to talk about that. Yeah. It's, I don't know what every woman's experience is. And I've obviously just spoken to a select few women in, in my life, but from my own experience, the time you hit puberty is the time where you get the most attention from men ever. So around 14, 15 years oh. old. So suddenly it changes. And especially in my experience, I became like an object. Trucks would honk at me. Men would stop their cars at the side of the road and talk to me, a child, a 15 year old child. And I didn't look like an older person. So from, I mean, I'm just talking about one aspect of this and Me Too is obviously much more. We're talking about power structures, power dynamics, but I'm just talking about a small aspect of the female experience and my personal experience. But that was, I had spent all of my teenage years trying to avoid that kind of attention. And so I just didn't have the skills to be able to feel confident in a room with a bunch of adult men. Well, not only that, but how many, how many, how many women, uh, Grown women stop their car at a fifteen-year-old boy and whistle. I would think that's highly rare. (laughs) Very rare. Your mom might do that. My mother, no, she was. She would not do that. It just puts things in a perspective, different perspective, especially when you hear. You know, imagine being an actress in Hollywood, and that's how this whole movement started. But it happens everywhere. I don't know. I don't want to get into it, but I, I'm I'm thankful that this whole movement came out because I think it's so. it, It puts awareness and it puts like, hey, you can't act like this. And it's, it's more than that, though. It's calling out systems and structures and finding ways to change those structures and analyze them for what they are. And set is a structure that I think is very or has been and continues to be in many ways a male dominated system. Like our camera crew, we had on Smallville, we had what, a few women that came through in the camera department? Marzi. With direct and AD. Um, yeah, well, we've got like but not a ton and stuff. of females, yes. No, it's like a very male oriented environment. And that goes all the way up to executive positions. So it's just, I don't know, it's structural and the movement is helping to shift those structures. And I think that it is moving from just our business <laughs> into all fields because it's a systemic issue that will take a long time to shift because it has to, we have to shift our own mentalities, which I think is really hard to do as people. You know, and I think about being on sets, set, people don't realize, you know, that when you're on a set, it's like a family. It's like, you know, these people, you see them more than your own family, especially I, you know, that me, I wasn't around my friends or anything. These were the people I knew. And so you get to a point where you're so comfortable where you're talking about everything and anything and you say stupid things and you're playful and you're, you know, and, um, 
it's hard to articulate what a set is like. But you can, it's not to say you can't still have fun, but there's, there's, a, there's a line that you can't cross. Well, like fun and abuse are totally separate things. And every person has different boundaries. So it's all, of, I think, about, especially if we're just talking about set and how you talk to or engage with people on set, it's about finding out where people's boundaries are. It just Absolutely. takes more effort. Yeah. You know, like, is this okay? Is this kind of joking? Okay. Is this like, is this making people uncomfortable and making them feel like they don't have a voice or is it like stifling them? You know, that's just about consent though. And finding May I ways say something inappropriate. Is that okay with everybody? <laughs> is that okay that if I say you, would you gain agreement from people without being explicit sometimes? I, I think as long as you maintain critical thinking, I don't imagine it's problematic. I think that's true. It's all about respect. Or checking in with someone afterward. If you do something and you notice that maybe it wasn't okay, just sure. check in, get a sense. But you shouldn't have to stop having fun. Those exactly. Things to, can't, like, stop, cancel each other out. Yeah. When was it that you just felt completely like, now I'm, I'm someone, I'm on the show. This is changing my life. I was walking down Burrard Street one day, probably going to the record store. And I had someone run up to me, say my name, like Kristen, and want a hug. And I was so terrified. And I realized that I was no longer anonymous. Even in my own city, my life had shifted. And I mean, another time that was really distinct is like going to Paris and being in a museum and having a whole like swarm of teenagers start to follow me from room to room in a way that I was like, okay, yeah, this show is very popular. <laughs> that little girl in Vancouver on Burrard Street going into that record store after the hug and you were terrified, was it sort of like that? It was scary. It was a moment where it's like, oh my God, that was uncomfortable. And a moment of like, that was kind of cool. Were you kind of excited that you're like, you're doing something that's making such an impact? Or that, did that take some time? That took time. I wish I could say that I had that clarity then, but I didn't. Now, like going to the, you know, comic cons or fan expos or whatever with you guys and seeing everyone and talking to them, I can feel moved and I can feel their experience. Yeah. I think when I was like 18, 19, you know, whatever, I was only feeling my experience and not their experience. And it was completely self-centered. So that's completely shifted now. And I wish I had had that lucidity then, but I, but I didn't. It just was like, blah. <laughs> it was, you know, and what's amazing is, and I asked you, I said, hey, come to these conventions. You're like, ah, you know, you know. And you were unsure. And, you know, I said, look, Tom and I are going to be there. It's going to be like old times. I think you're going to really have fun. And I really noticed that once you were there and you got what it was and seeing what an impact we had and fans getting to to meet you or um, and it was pretty crazy how not only sincere, but they're uh, pretty respectful, you know, and for the most part, there's on a few occasions, but. You seem to be like going, taking it in stride and having a good time with it. Because yes, you were have always been an introvert. So I, I enjoyed watching you, sort of enjoy it, <laughs> in a way. Yeah. Well, it becomes not about. I mean, let's be honest. It's about me, obviously, in some ways. But like, it's about them. When people come up and tell you about how you were the first Asian representation they saw on screen or you, you know, that the show gave that their family something that bound them together or gave them hope or, or was, you know, that family whose father had passed away and they were all connected to him continuously through our show. Like, it's not about us. It's about us as a like placeholder for them, something they can use to like reflect themselves or build closeness with each other and so being there, I kind of just get to be a trigger for that. And I get to feel that, which is sometimes intense, but but is also really gratifying. I remember, again, you were young and there was this like, I should have known. I was like, she's young, of course. I'm a weird, old, you know, I'm older than her. I am, you know, even though I was still young, you know, 25, 26, I was still like, you know, yes, energy and weird and, you know, a goofy guy. And But I noticed it took a couple of years. And then when we started really working together... We built this bond like we mm -hmm. there was I, I remember 
specifically. It could have happened before, but it was in an episode called Lexmas. Mm-hmm. I think it was. It was one where there was this dream sequence where what if and you and I could have been married and there was just like this mutual respect and this cool thing where we were on set almost all the time together. It was fun and I could see like you opening up like in a in a way I'd never seen. Like I I saw this young girl that I had worked with but didn't work with very much and kind of came into the trailer like, oh, hey, Kristen, you're leaving. I'm coming on to do a scene with John Glover or an adult scene. And now you were this woman. Like I felt a connection and it was it was really yeah. nice. Do you remember that? Absolutely. I I loved working with you, especially as the years went by and we had more substantial work to do together. It gave me an opportunity to play dynamics that were complicated because Lex and Lana were constantly lying to each other. They were hiding shit. They were secretive. They were, so there was all for an acting for acting. It was fun because we got to play all these things and, and you're a wonderful actor. So it was great to come on set and do that with you. I had so much fun. And Lexmas was a light episode for me, not screen time wise, but like I got to just embody Lex's imagination of <laughs> what Lana was, yeah. which was like pure goodness and fun and a great mom, and like all these lovely traits and qualities that I really enjoyed. Additionally, when it comes to just me as a person, once I trust and feel safe with you is when I am most authentically myself. And, and I am like a little strange and a little goofy, but like along with my seriousness, but that takes time. And, and I think we got to that point as it should, you know, maybe, I don't know, but that's just the way well, I it am. takes a while. And if you open up and you really get, you get, you, you take your time to get to know someone to see if this is somebody you want to open up to, to someone that you want to share something personal with or be honest with and we also for the fans we get we had to kiss yep but you had to kiss tom first yeah then who, you kiss jensen who was no better, don't ask her who's a better who was kisser. A better kisser between the three <laughs> i'm sure tom's most beautifully had the softest lips in the world but i i don't think i was terrible oh my god why are you obsessed with this <laughs> well what james tom just said it james Gunn said he had a smelly breath right was that right me? Or you're a close talker? <laughs> I was never a close. He was joking with me because he knows I hate close talkers. So he kept fucking with me. I hate close talkers. You had never kissed someone before, Tom, right? On set? Uh, no, I had. Yeah. Because I, 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 as a female, you're always playing a love interest. That's been my whole career up until now. How do you feel about those <laughs> kind of scenes where you have to, you just kind of go with it now? You just, you, you know the routine, you know the deal. This is it. At this point in my career, it's just another scene, unless there has to be, um, like, simulated sex I find bizarre. The rest of it is just, I don't know, it's not, it doesn't feel real to me. I mean, it's very different than life. Well, what I'm saying is, is is there ever a a moment where you're looking at your Oh my God, where are you going at this? (laughs) <laughs> it's, I'm, I'm look I'm 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 just asking a question like for some reason like sometimes you're on set and there's pages and it's like oh I have to kiss this person tomorrow do you go oh god or do you go oh okay or do you go oh that'll be fun I think I'm more on the spectrum of if there's someone I don't like I'll uh, feel uncomfortable uh yeah but everybody else it's just what it is how did your parents feel about Smallville did they watch it I don't know. <laughs> you don't know? <laughs> Come on. I think they might. Look, it was a, a lot of episodes of TV. I think they watched some of it at the very least. Maybe they watched all of it. We've never really talked about them watching it. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Your parents who are supposed to support you emotionally and, uh, <laughs> you know, they didn't watch your work and say, hey. You do a really good job. I love you. I'm proud of you. I mean, yeah, of course they they say they love me and they're proud of me, but I think they make a, they make a point of ensuring that I don't feel that that's tied to what I do. Honestly, t- what we do is we tell stories um, and pretend, um, and I think that that's something to be proud of. But it's not like we're saving the world. So my parents are pretty. <laughs> Wonderful and supportive, but they're not overweighting it. They don't love acting so much. They don't love the business so much, do they? They don't. They're they not movie goers. Business. They don't go watch movies. <laughs> to the movies, yes, please. They love going to the movies. They like watching movies, but it's not their life, you know. Um, 
they love books, they love movies, they love, you know, gardening and all that kind of stuff. But it's not hugely important to them. Superman show is probably not their demo. <laughs> probably they not. They were probably not the demo. You like a Rob just oh, every no. once in a while will come in with a dig. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't meant to job. be a dig. It was to be clear. My parents are very supportive. I didn't, I didn't say they weren't. Not... I'm just saying, you know, yeah. <laughs> I have this very different like idea of your parents. I'd love to meet your parents one day. That would be hilarious. I mean, what? Why do you say that? <laughs> because it wouldn't you'd, work. You'd make them very uncomfortable, probably. Imagine me when I first met you. My parents are adults, so it's a little different. I think it'd be fine because you're very warm. And my mom responds very well to warm people. So it would be fine. My dad would find you amusing. He'd find me amusing. Yeah, I, I feel like I've always like, you know, I want to meet Christmas parents. I bet. I bet they like me. I bet they would. I bet you think that. I bet we'd have a good time. <laughs> I bet she was like, yeah, I don't know. It'd be a little uncomfortable. No, I make people feel comfortable. That's what I like to do. Yeah. Is there anyone's <laughs> parents you don't think that would like you from the cast? Um, <laughs> No, no. I for a while I was like, oh my god, I bet Kristen's parents would hate me. I think maybe because I think she hates me early on in the show. <laughs> but then as we got, you know, there was always that thought. My mind goes to weird places. It's all I don't know. It just goes there. It just goes to like, oh my god, what am I doing here? Like I the stu- I wake up with stress sometimes. I wake up with it. Do you get? Do you get anxiety? Have you ever had like you? People say, "Oh, I get anxiety," but like, do you have you ever really got uh, had a, an anxiety attack? No, I've been very lucky. For some reason, I have this ability when I start feeling really anxious to stop. And and I'll have to ride it for a little while sometimes, but I never, like, not like I think that you get pretty anxious. I don't let myself thought spiral in the way that other people seem to not be able to stop the thought spirals. Like, have you ever thought of diagnosing me? <laughs> have you ever looked at me and going, I bet Michael has... At one point, probably, probably when I was like 20, when I was trying to f- figure you out and understand why you were the way you were, like, why, what is, who is this human? Why does he behave like this? I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what most people say. My assistant, Jess, Rob, my producer, my friends, my fans, they're like, they don't expect Lex Luthor when they see him. They're like, what the, f- what, wh- who are you? What are you? I go, I don't know. I'm still figuring it out, Kristen. <laughs> No, it's an ongoing process, but I bet you there was some point in some journal somewhere that I have a full write-up about you. (laughs) Oh my God, really? Yeah, I was horrible just thinking that I could figure people out. Well, I hope, yeah, well, later on you figured it out. You're like, oh, you know what? I like that you called me warm. See how I remember things like that? My my mom would find you warm. She meant body temperature, I think. Well, no, (laughs) I think she, she would find me warm. You know what? Next time I come into Vancouver, if you're there, we should have lunch and we should go by and meet your parents. We will see. I think that could be a meet. I'll ask my parents if they would like to. Do you really need to see? I'm mine. I could just walk in and like, first of all, I'd never want you to meet my parents. I would really want to meet your parents. No. I've heard so much about them mm. over the years. I, I would. I feel like it helped me to like have a deeper understanding of you. I mean, I've heard you talk about them. But. I promise you. That if you met my mother, you would immediately grab me, hold me, hug me, and say, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. <laughs> that's, what I, that's what I think was, would probably be true. Does your mom listen to your podcast, Michael? No. I hope not. No. She doesn't. Oh, she wouldn't know how. She could barely text. Um, okay. My father asked me, what's the best episode to listen to? And I said, none of them. I, I just I I, can't, I I don't want him to listen to them. It's not like I say horrible things. Like I'm not like somebody who just said I don't bash my parents. It's more like, hey, my dad did the best he could. He was 18. He adopted two kids that my mom had already. A 23 year old woman who's a little all over the place. He tried to work, and and you know what it was? There was just like in your family. I think there's a lot of honesty, straightforward. This is it. We're gonna say how we feel. And what my parents is when I talk to them, I honestly, I swear to God, I think. Is this a true story? I don't believe oh, what they're, I don't believe anything they're saying. Sometimes I go, I could, I could believe half of that. Honest to God, that's every conversation I feel like I don't. So I think it's very important when you're talking to someone, like I'm talking to you, 
I know you're going to be honest. I know you well enough. I know Rob's pretty honest. You know? <laughs> no, you're honest. Thanks. But I think that's important. That's why in my life it's it's so hard for me, believe it or not, to trust people. Even though I want – sometimes I feel like I want attention or I want these things. I think what I want is someone that just loves me for me, of course, like we all want. But someone who is just honest with me. You know, and maybe that's why I'm not married. I don't know. I've tried. I mean, I've I've had long relationships, but how how has that worked for you? I mean, it sounds like you're <laughs> wow. Just turn that right around. Well, you <laughs> well you've had a, you've been you don't you don't have to talk privately, but you've been in a relationship a while. Yeah, I have. Yeah, I love being in long term relationships. Um, yeah, you've mostly been in them. Yes, I've never really dated. I dated once briefly for like a few months. I love being close with people that I trust and long-term relationships are like that. And I, I'm not a super romantic person, so I don't have expectations that things need to be a certain way. I just want to be with someone who wants to share themselves fully and who I can feel that I can share myself fully with and who doesn't have a lot of demands and who shares values. And I love, I love that. Do you see yourself ever getting married? I see, I don't see like a wedding ceremony in my future. And I, the idea of putting like a ring on my finger makes me kind of sick. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I see my future as being with this person. And I don't know that I feel it needs to be tied to the tradition that everyone has kind of subscribed to (laughs) for the most of recent history. Um, but I don't know. Who knows? Something could happen. Maybe he really wants to get married. And, and I eventually am like, why am I being such a dick? I don't know. Or you accidentally have a kid. <laughs> yeah. Or that. Or like, uh, just follow my parents. Yeah. Now. Like your parents. Have a couple of kids. <laughs> get married. Yeah. That would be yeah. great. Um, what, what, do you, what are your fondest memories of working on Smallville? And what are your fondest, like the scenes that you remember? You're like, oh, my God. I really remember that scene. And that was a special moment. With Michael. No, not with me. <laughs> it's funny because we've talked about this a little bit in passing, but I don't, I don't remember a lot from the show. Uh, it's really a, a blur, but I remember shooting stuff from season eight because it was the most recent season. You weren't there. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, the scenes that I shot with Tom, the like Lana and Clark's final scenes were really, I mean, they were devastating, but I had so much fun basically just, bawling my eyes out for eight hours a day. Um, it was such a fun, sad, uh, scene. And then what else do I riding horses? I remember ride horses all the time. And I fucking loved it. I would just like, they would have me booking it through those fields in Langley and they'd have like a helicopter flying and catching me, like just riding that horse as fast as I could. And that was so much fun. I loved it. And, you know, stunt stuff I always loved doing. And what else? I, what do you remember? Um, I just love making you laugh. I remember being on set with you in terms of us, but I remember always making yeah. you laugh and like you busting up or me messing a line up. And you just had that look where that face where your lips would go like this, you know, tight. And, like, <laughs> and then you do that laugh, <laughs> the Kristen laugh. And I remember a lot of those. I remember a lot of, lot of laughing. A lot of laughing. Yeah. A lot of laughing. Do you remember yes. the music in the trailer? Do you remember the music? Uh, not a lot. I remember your music. Yes. What was it? Yeah. I mean, you liked your Bee Gees things. <laughs> My Bee Gees things. His, his, his Yacht Rock. I mean, it was Yacht Rock, 80s, you know. Um, yeah. Do you remember when John Glover, I told this story, but John Glover goes, Michael, who's this? And I go, oh, that's uh, Hall and Oates. He goes, hmm, I think I slept with the little one back in the 70s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, I do remember that. But again, you and I weren't in the trailer all the time all together. The time, yeah. Although you were always getting spray painted, essentially. With the mask on, they have to spray my head too late. You know, that's yes. the biggest thing. That, the, the, the thing that pisses me off the most is when people say, did you shave your head for that show? And I go, fucking kidding me? Of course I did. I spent two hours a day, half an hour after everybody left to take it off. Yeah, but you're right. We laughed a lot, especially as the years went by and everything got more and more casual. Fewer people were watching the show. The network didn't care as much. We kind of just did our own thing. And You know, I remember, you know, I would have honestly, if somebody, if, if this was a Vegas bet and they said, well, Kristen act after Smallville, 
I wasn't <laughs> sure you loved it enough where I was like, you know, she's probably going to go on and be a teacher. She's going to go on and do something abroad, helping people. I just felt philanthropic, if you will. And so when I heard, oh, she's on this show, Beauty and the Beast now, she's a star of. And she's now doing her own show that she's producing, um, Burden of Truth. And I'm like, yeah. wow, she's really ha- – has acting something that you've slowly kind of fallen in love with? Or is it something you're like, you know what? I'm going to I'm gonna do it while – strike while the iron's hot kind of thing. Okay. I'm going to go back in time first to answer this question. <laughs> so when I was – a younger person. So in, in high school, my family, they're wonderful, but they're not a very emotionally expressive family. So it's not a family where I felt safe or open to just like feel feelings. So I turned to acting to express emotions. And that's why I loved it, that and the psychology aspect of it. And so when I, when I started working professionally, I also wasn't sure that I would keep doing it because I, I didn't find it as satisfying as I did when I was doing it, you know, on stage or for fun or whatever. So Smallville and a lot of my, my acting choices were around feeling like I would never work again. You know, like I took these jobs and it worked out for me and it was crazy. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. I can't say no to this. And then when Smallville ended, when I, when I left, I had to make more conscious decisions. Um, and I didn't have any other skill sets. So when did I finish Smallville? I was probably 25, 26. 2010, 2010, maybe nine. Yeah. So, so I, I just didn't know, I didn't know how to do anything else. And it was the easiest path for me to keep doing it. That being said, at this point in time, I know we talk about this whenever we talk, but I am trying to phase out acting but I love storytelling. And I think that storytelling is a powerful medium. And I think that we can do a lot of good with it. Even if it's entertainment, I think people need that in their lives. They live hard lives and being able to go home and smile is the best thing in the world or cry cathartically, whatever it may be. But additionally, I think that we can bring to light certain issues or help people feel empathy for groups that they wouldn't feel empathy for normally. Uh, we can represent people more deeply. And I think that helps. And it is in, in a field where I actually have some skill and everywhere else I have no skill, which, you know, in part is why I went back to school. Right. You just got another degree. Or just got a no, degree. I'm working on my degree. You're working it's on going your degree. To take me forever. Well, how long? Well, it depends. If I keep working, I think it'll. I'm about halfway through. I've got like forty something credits, and I need to get forty something more. What kind of credits um, are you taking? What degree? I'm getting my bachelor's degree because I went to university on uh, Smallville. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'm I'm working my bachelor's degree in arts history specifically. Um, so my classes are. I've kind of split them pretty evenly between history classes and psychology classes and then, you know, some other stuff here and there, but yeah, that's what you I'm love doing. it. Oh my God. I love it so much. <laughs> it's like one of my favorite things to do. The people still go, Hey, you're in my class. You're that girl from Smallville or beating the beast. Um, remember these people are very youthful. They're, <laughs> they're oh, 19. Yes. That's true. They're kids. They don't know so. you. They are way too young for my Have you ever had a college kid hit on you? No, I don't go to class. I am on my computer. I wouldn't go into it. Oh, I was hoping you go to class. That'd be so cool. (laughs) This is fine. Is this a lot easier than you thought it would be? I have no idea what we've spoken about over the span of this interview, and I hope that you have something interesting (laughs) to put in your podcast. Rob, this has been great. This has been great. Are you kidding me? You really don't know what we've talked about? It's weird because I know you, so we're kind of just talking, rehashing some things, but, you know. Yeah, I'm just saying it's easy, right? It's easy. It's easy. Yes, Michael, it's easy. But I was nervous because, not because it's you, I really was excited to have, you know, but to Skype this, right? You were the technical side of things. The technical side, and I was like, oh my God, and then I'm like, if I was just, if if (laughs) we were just. video helped. Video really helped, doesn't it? Yeah, the Skype is this Skype's working really well for us today too because I sometimes hate Skype, sorry Skype, because it cuts out constantly. But that we've had a pretty great connection this yeah, entire this time. Yeah, this has been pretty cool. So what else? You know, I know the acting thing, but what what other things are you doing? Because you're always doing something like I said, philanthropic. But you're always, I know you always. When we were younger, we used to work with young girls and 
Yeah. I, right now, so because of the show that I work on, um, our latest kind of focus in our last season of the show was, um, in part, some indigenous issues, I suppose. I feel weird using the word issues. Um, but there's a great group out of Winnipeg. They're called Bear Clan Patrol. And Winnipeg, for those of your listeners, listeners who don't know, it's a town in like a city in the middle of Canada. Yeah, the Jets play <laughs> um, there, the Winnipeg Jets. They're a very big hockey town. But they're also a city that's steeped in history and Canadian history and also the site of a lot of poverty and particularly with indigenous peoples. And so there's this great, amazing group called Bear Bear Clan Patrol, and they work in the north end of Winnipeg, which is kind of the, it's a little bit of a more run down area of the city. And so we featured them on our show, but we also all went out and went on patrol with them. And what they do is they're a community-based group that cleans up needles, talks to the local population, um, ensures that people get, you know, food to eat and you know, a group of uh, supporters. So they, they aren't really related to the police, though they communicate with the police and they're not about policing. They are about love and kindness and having people that you can go to if you're in trouble. So they monitor everybody down there and, and they're pretty wonderful. I love that. Yeah, I think it's really important. And the group is really like woven into our series. So I'm really, I'm proud of that. You know, to wrap this up, because this yeah. has been a great time and I've been, lo- I love talking to you. And whenever we're together, it seems like it was yesterday. I think you even said that, like, you know, when we see each other, it's like we didn't miss a beat. And I think that's, you know, indicative of like great times and appreciate each other and, and knowing each other and sort of like, even though we don't know each other, we don't hang out with each other a lot. But when we hang out, I, I really, I've always enjoyed you, except those first few years when we were, it was weird. <laughs> <laughs> but no, but I mean, look, um, Yes. I just, I've, I've always appreciated you. And when people say, you know, what was that girl like? I'm like, she was really freaking cool. And she was easy to get along with. And uh, she always knew her lines. I don't remember. You never know. You always knew. You're always pretty professional. I hope so. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I, I think that I did. I didn't have a ton of work to do. I feel like I should have known my lines. It wasn't like I was number one on the call sheet and had massive amounts of exposition. <laughs> did you, by the way, did you, did you watch the show? I watched, yeah, I watched a bunch of the show, mostly to critique myself and feel like a horrible, horrible actor so that I could inspire myself to become better. You really thought you were bad. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm still very critical of myself, but now it doesn't, it doesn't feel as terrible as it once did. Yeah. Well, it's called growing. Yeah. Mature. But also like, I just think I have a limit to my capacity and I'm pretty much okay with that. (laughs) That's, you know what, that's the biggest part of it for me is just being okay with like, I think you're just, you're okay with who you are. Yeah. Maybe that's just getting older. Yeah. You still stress, obviously. You still get a little anxious. You still worry about things. Yeah. I strive always to be better. And I, I'm the kind of person who has an interaction goes away and runs over everything that I said. I just don't feel like it gets to the point that I feel crippled. But yeah, or I go to work and I do a scene and I'm like, ugh, that didn't go as well as I'd hoped. But at this point, I know that there'll be another day and that it's not worth destroying myself over. Yeah, I think that's that's pretty important. Um, you and I are going to be in Boston together? Nope, we're going to be in Toronto. We're going to be in Toronto <laughs> together. So I, yeah, I'll see you. I think I'm going to see you in August. Yes, you so will. So if you want to see Tom, Kristen, and I. Uh, signing autographs and we're rarely together. This is like the third convention we're doing. Uh, we don't do many Kristen's, you know, it's everybody's got their schedules. What Rob we should do a podcast from Toronto with the three of you. Oh, you want to come? Maybe I love Toronto, but this has been a lot of fun that you were the first Skype call first Skyped in and it sounds pretty good. And it worked. Now you've opened up a whole new world for yeah. yourself. I don't ever have to leave my house now. You never yes. leave your house for it anyway. <laughs> no, I barely leave my house. But we all. record in your house. Yeah, we recorded my house, but I'm just saying, uh, no, like, we, we went to Brent Burns' house. We went to James Gunn's house. We were thinking of going to Vancouver to well, do three Jensen out of two hundred. <laughs> What's your favorite show on television and your favorite movie? My favorite TV show right now is Better Things. Ooh, I love it. I haven't seen it. Have you seen That's, that, Rob? Uh, is that the one on FX? Yes, it yeah. is. Yeah, yeah. I feel like it's just wonderful. And I always say my favorite movie of all time, I suppose, is The Princess Bride because 
I love it. And I can watch it over and over again. It's a great movie. Additionally, I grew up with like no movies, so I don't have like a real experience of film. What's your favorite people. line from Princess Bride? That's too hard, Michael. My I, name I is can't. Amiga Montoya. Yes, I mean, that's the cl- there are many classics. The better to die. <laughs> hey, at least you know that one. Yeah, you've seen the movie. Yeah. God, this has been so fun. I hate like saying goodbye to Kristen. She's such a nice person. You're a nice person. I want to meet the man sometime. I want to meet the boyfriend. Yeah, yeah. You can. Really He's excited. wonderful. Yep. I think you'd like him. Well, how about Toronto? Maybe bring him to Toronto. Oh, yeah. He'll probably come. Uh, bring him. He yeah, as there. long as he's he's there. As long as he's in Toronto, he'll he'll come by. Kristen, thank you for allowing me to be inside of you today. It's been a real treat. Yes. Thank you, Michael. Yes. Thanks for being a part of this. And uh, I love you. Love you, too. Uh, I just wanted to hear that. Wasn't that nice? Oh, Rob, you love him, too. <laughs> Love you too, Rob. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right. Bye, Kristen. Bye, guys. Bye. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was the three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.